A quick note to listeners, this whole episode is about sex education, so as you might imagine, there will be some discussion of sex. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, let's be honest, the sex ed most of us got in school wasn't great. But there's hope for the next generation. Pittsburgh Public Schools just updated its sex ed curriculum for the first time in a while. Now it doesn't just focus on abstinence. But what is the best way to teach all this stuff? I'm with Mary Jo Pogursky. She's the director of a teen outreach program in Washington County, and she's taught sex ed for decades. It's Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So Mary Jo, we wanted to know about the worst, the weirdest, the most misleading things our listeners learned in sex ed. So I did a little call out and a bunch of people sent in their horror stories. I want to play you some of what we heard um, and just get your reaction. Okay. And just a note here, some people called in and some people wrote in. So we enlisted our friends on other CityCast teams to read a few of the written submissions. I thought I'd be able to ID genital warts by the cauliflower-sized legion they use as a scare tactic in my sex ed at Plum High School. Not so. My high school sex ed class at North Allegheny actually taught us about the existence of birth control and condoms, but never told us how to obtain those things or how to use them. No condom on bananas for us, let alone that they are extremely effective if used properly. I went to a Catholic high school. My theology class, sophomore year, was called Relating, and it was taught by a priest. He brought in a doctor to talk to us about STDs. The doctor showed slides with graphic pictures of people's private parts and the various STDs that they had contracted. I had this class right before lunch and could not eat that day. Some of those pictures were awful. I was in the fourth grade, age nine years old, in 1956. On sex day, which was usually one day a week on Fridays, boys and girls were separated into two groups in the gym. The boys were taught by our phys ed teacher and the girls were taught by the school nurse. They also described all the scary symptoms of various STIs, but failed to mention an individual's risk of contracting one or that most of them are treatable or even avoidable if you use protection. The class content was more scare tactics than anything the horrors of getting an STD, unwanted pregnancy, masturbation will lead to insanity. Yes, that is exactly what was said. The refrain of the whole class was abstinence is the only way to make sure you don't get pregnant or get a scary STI. The class made it seem like it was extremely easy to get pregnant, like it was a miracle if you had sex and didn't get pregnant. I learned that people make a baby when they love each other and hug. As a concrete thinking kid, I refused to hug people because I knew I wasn't really ready for kids. I was even afraid to use the public restrooms for fear of getting a disease. So inform the children, but not too much, and scare them into abstinence. (sighs) So does any of this sound familiar to you, Mary Jo? Totally, Morgan. Totally familiar. (laughs) 
So let's break this down. What I'm going to tell you is based on two things. Opinion, mine after 50 years in the field, mm. and facts. So young people, first of all, can sort out actual facts from garbage. Although if you're using <laughs> those kinds of messages, your, your primary focus is scaring. It's all fear. And yeah. the, the philosophy that if you frighten young people enough, they won't have sex is is bogus and it's also very destructive emotionally because if if you've got a kid who's so afraid or a teen who's so afraid that that they don't think about healthy relationships or how to negotiate a relationship and they they get drunk and they're not afraid anymore and that's when really unhealthy hookups happen so um I never have used in all the. I've never used those horrible pictures. I've been a nurse for forever. I graduated in 1970. I've never seen cauliflower like genital warts. It doesn't happen. Um, yeah, it just is horrible. And they're all the same slides. I don't know where people get them. I've seen them. Um, I won't use them. So these are dehumanizing tactics to me. These are tactics that take away the fact that we are sexual beings and our sexual health is part of being a healthy person. It's part of being a full person. I mean, the idea that it's it's scary to hug, that's terrifying, isn't it, to do that to a child? What is the history, though, behind it? Like, how did abstinence only become the standard? Our history in this in this culture is so complicated. We tend to hide everything that needs to be talked about. We come from a long history of denial, <laughs> not just in terms of sexuality. And so there are adults who make decisions based on their own personal biases for whatever reason, and then they try to impose them on young people. Um, if you talk, and I've done it, openly, kindly, respectfully, and honestly with young people. They actually have less sex because they think it through. Mm -hmm. I started off thinking I was going to prevent teen pregnancy, and we did make a major difference in that in my community. We went from 36 per thousand teen pregnancies to 12 per thousand from 1988 to 2013 in the 15- to 17-year-old group. So we made a significant— That's in Washington County where you work, right? Right, but— yeah. Here's my heart. I started off that way. And then in time, not very long, I realized that what I wanted to give them is a feeling of validity about who they were and that sexual health is their, is their gift, their right as a human. And I'll talk about teen pregnancy like I did in the very beginning. I stopped that almost in a year in. I never, as I said, show the STD, STI slides. Um, yeah. I want them to figure out consent. I want them to figure out um, who they are and what they want out of a relationship. So what is your approach? Like, how do you start teaching young people to have a healthy relationship to sex and to understand consent? I teach boys the same thing as girls and girls. I teach everybody everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I weave into the. It's all about self-worth. It really is all about worthiness. I believe each person is a person of worth. And if you can get sixth graders to value themselves and value their bodies, two-thirds of the problem is solved right there. So let's say I only have twice with a young person, and that's not enough. But if I only have twice, I won't do it one time. My focus is going to be on relationships, consent, self-worth, 
We have a whole program that my peer educators do, the kids who teach with me called Respect Online, that talks about not sending pictures of your body parts to other people. And why don't you do that? Because your body Mm -hmm. parts are yours and they're beautiful and you should value their magnificent. We don't make kids feel guilt or shame. And I did a workshop once. I do a lot of professional development. And I said to these people who were teaching abstinence only until marriage, I said, I think you are good-intentioned individuals. I think you want to make a good difference. Have you thought about the fact that there are young people in your classroom who are sexual abuse survivors? Have you considered that possibility? And I got blank Mm -hmm. looks. I said, if you're telling young people that having sex is so radically dangerous and they'll get pregnant right away and they'll get these horrible STIs, have you even considered the fact that there is somebody in that room who had forced sexual, had a sexual assault, was raped, maybe as a child, even maybe last week? How do you justify that? Nobody crawls out of my classes on their emotional belly. They come out of my classes feeling better. So when we did ask for stories about, you know, sex ed, we also heard from people who felt like they were erased from the curriculum, you know, altogether. So here are a few of those stories. All of my sex ed experiences were extremely, extremely gendered. Like, they always split us up into boys and girls, of course, um, because this was, like, whatever, like, the 2000s. I just remember, like, dreading it and dreading it. And, like, when the school, like, gave us the note that our parents had to sign, like, I did not want to give my parents that note. (laughs) Like, I did not want to go to the class because I knew that they were going to, like, split us up into boys and girls and like put us in different classrooms and teach us different things. And so as a trans person, like that was just super like not something that felt good. Obviously, like it felt really, really horrible and just highlighted everything that I felt dysphoric about, like which I didn't know was dysphoria. I was like 10. But (laughs) when you look back on it, like obviously... That's why I hated it. I grew up in Fox Chapel and graduated around 2016. Uh, And uh, I'm an openly gay man. And um, I wish I had a story around my sexuality from sex education there, but they never really talked about it. It was never a discussion in class. First, I have never taught heteronormatively. The reason I haven't done that is because I respect all human beings. So if I believe each person is worthy, then I need to teach so that every person in my classroom feels heard. Mm -hmm. So I say things like, when you find the right person, when you feel attracted to someone, um, I'm careful with words. Words are are powerful. And I don't gender split. Mm -hmm. The only time I do that is when I teach puberty and fourth, fifth, that that stuff. Um, But I teach, as I said, the same things to both groups. But in, in, in reality, I can have a non-binary kid in my class or a gender non-conforming kid or mm-hmm. a kid who is trans, and they are totally safe with me because of the way I approach it. And I know I can prove that because I have had young people come out to me, both LGB and TQ, um, forever. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like as a human, I 
I do a disservice if I don't want everybody in there. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. Some school districts are changing how they've approached sex ed. Um, Pittsburgh Public Schools just updated their curriculum for the first time in over a decade. So I can imagine it's probably more inclusive. But now it covers yeah, things like consent, gender identity, sexual orientation, anatomy, um, interpersonal violence. So the curriculum still stresses that abstinence is the only form of protection that's 100 percent effective against unplanned pregnancies, STIs. But it's not treated as the you know expected norm. So what are the best practices for teaching sex ed? And does it sound like we're moving in the right direction in Pittsburgh? Absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds like you're moving in the right direction. Best practices must include the things you mentioned. Teaching young people that delaying sex, and I really like that more than abstinence. The word abstinence mm-hmm. means don't have any, and it doesn't tell you when mm-hmm. you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but delaying sexual involvement is something you can postpone it and still feel like you're a sexual person. You can say to yourself, I'm 14. Maybe I should wait till I'm a little more mature. And, and I talk about that. But using the word postpone or delay is not as final as never. Um, and yeah. it's not, not everybody gets married either. And it's important that that not be the only criteria for getting involved sexually. And one more thing before we leave this particular Mm -hmm. thing. I don't know what Pittsburgh is doing, but you can't assume that sex is penis and vagina sex. You can't assume that penetration is the sexual experience that they're having. Um, Young people, just like adults, need to be aware of their bodies, how amazing they are. Self-pleasure. I bet you a whole lot of money that most schools don't talk about self-pleasure. I had to learn all of my sex ed stuff from late night TV shows with those sex therapists like sure. Dr. Ruth and, um, and that's not okay. Sue Johansson. And I know both those people and they're good people, but that's still not okay, Morgan. Yeah. Because you can't reach across the TV and talk to them. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to have someone uh, I could reach out and talk to who was informed and maybe a little bit detached from me and the rest of my situations in my life. You know, I I don't feel like anyone close to me was somebody that I could reach out and talk to about, you know, my sexual feelings. And it's it's really hard to talk to mom sometimes, no matter how close you are and how much Mm -hmm. you love mom. If you're a parent listening to this, you start talking to your little ones about sex when they when you start talking to them. It's just yeah. that it's not about sex. 
It's about their bodies. So you name the body parts. You have a penis. You have a vulva, not just a vagina. Please, folks, don't tell your kids if they have vaginas that they only have vaginas. They also have a vulva. They have a clitoris. It's okay to say that word. Um, I have a child abuse prevention program that is taught in the schools around here for fourth graders. Some of the schools won't let me put the clitoris word in it, but they will let penis in. That confuses me. Why are we so afraid? Of female sexuality. Yeah, why are we? You want my opinion? I think it's easier to control people when you don't allow them to have full expression of their self. So if you have a little girl, let's say she's growing up and she doesn't understand that she's allowed to have sexual pleasure too, then Mm -hmm. she will do things to protect her relationship with a boy, even if it's not healthy, because she doesn't understand that she has the right to also have stuff for her i'm careful how i teach so i use spaghetti as my because i'm italian so i say to Mm. the young people supposing your nana makes amazing spaghetti sauce and it's great right and she goes on vacation and her sister your great aunt makes the spaghetti sauce and it's lousy do you tell your great aunt who you love that the spaghetti sauce is lousy And the kids usually go, I don't know, I'm not sure I would. And I say, well, if you want the sauce to get better, you have to tell her. So maybe you say, we can make this together. I can add some basil or a little garlic. Mm. And then I take it to sex. I said, supposing you're in a relationship and you're not having a good time. That's not okay. So you either leave that relationship or try to make that relationship work. And the way you make it really work is communication. Morgan, I tell young people before they have any kind of sexual contact, and you notice how big that is, because that means even oral sex would be sexual contact, right? Before you have sexual contact, you have to have a conversation. You have to use your words with this person that you're thinking about becoming sexual with and say, I respect me. I respect you. What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? So Pittsburgh's trying to be more inclusive, um, but there are states that have there's, you know, the states that have banned lessons on gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, A couple Republican lawmakers here in Pennsylvania have proposed legislation to restrict this kind of teaching. So it's kind of something we're watching out for, you know, depending on who wins uh, the governor's race. But you've been doing this for a long time. And what's it been like to see sex ed become politicized again? Oh, It was always a little politicized, but Morgan has gotten much worse. And Mm. most of that is misinformation. And all of it is because people are not being kind and and have empathy. Um, But my approach has always been based on worthiness. And I cannot sit in a classroom and have a young person pour their heart out about how they feel about themselves in terms of their gender or their sexual attraction and not hear them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's something we teach. We don't say, you know, if you're not happy with your gender, you should change it. No, no, you don't do that. But you need to be open to whatever that young person brings to you and you need to respect that human. Um I think people think of it as very black and white like that. Right. I've always done parental permission because I respect parents. Why would I not Mm -hmm. want them to know what I'm teaching? So I'm an open book. I take phone calls, as I said, from parents even now. What I think has happened is we put politics in areas that 
have nothing to do with politics. Medicine, psychology, counseling, these are areas that are, we need experts in those areas to weigh in. Right. I teach as I've always taught, with respect for each young person in that room, believing in their worthiness. There's nothing about that that is uneasy to me or that is dangerous to me. Dr. Mary Jo Pergersky is director of the Washington Health System Teen Outreach. Mary Jo, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It was fun to be with you, Morgan. Special thanks to everyone who responded to our call out for sex ed stories and our teammates for their dramatic readings. Lisa Gray with CityCast Houston, Jacoby Cochran with CityCast Chicago, and Natalie Rivera, our development producer. Thank you all. Just a little more news before you go. Student test scores are down in Pennsylvania compared to before the pandemic. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, also known as the nation's report card, just released its first full report since 2019. The biggest dip was in eighth grade math. Test scores dropped by almost 11 points. Scores have dropped nationally, too. If you want to learn more about this, you can check out our episode from June 14th. It's about how the pandemic affected learning gaps in Pittsburgh, and we'll drop a link in our show notes. And it's Halloween season. It's election season. It's also cold and flu season. So Pittsburgh hospitals are preparing for what's being called the triple-demic. That means an uptick in emergency room visits for RSV on top of COVID and flu infections. So wash your hands and don't pick up more than candy this Halloween. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you found today's show educational, rate us, leave us some sugar, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Sugar with consent, of course. Uh, And we would love to hear from you for any future listener call-outs, so give us a call next time. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city, so we'll see you then. I would like to teach the Congress and the Senate. Send me in. Send me in, coach. I would love to teach them all.